Welcome to Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. I'll be doing improvised horror stories this evening. Pulling out random titles from a hat. And then make up the stories from there. Listening to the show at the time of the recording, I'm, anticip- I'm anticipating on doing some sort of Halloween special by the end of the week. I don't know what form that'll take yet, but if you want more info on it, keep an eye on my Twitter or my Twitch. So, without further ado, I'll be telling the first story. This first story is called, Today's Your Lucky Day. It was always a tradition in my family to get uh, Americana Chinese food every Wednesday. You see, in my hometown, there's one of three Chinese food places that people would go to, all in neighboring uh, small strip malls, all within a one or two block radius. And everyone had their own allegiance to which Chinese food place was the best. Some people were just like, no, this location has the coolest staff. Others were like, no, but this place has the best noodles. Yeah, but this one has like the nicest decor. Or like, no, 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 this one has the best chicken and the best sauce. No, it was a judgment call. You would really have to be there and try all three places to decide what your preference would be. But I remember, you know, there was one Wednesday eating Chinese food, you know, watching some football on TV, you know, just hanging out, family stuff. It was really nice and together at the time, and I certainly cherish those memories.
And on that one Wednesday, I remember a specific fortune cookie that I got. Cracked it open and I read the little scroll inside. And all it said was, today is your lucky day. mostly over. It was about like 6 p.m. at that point. And I was just a kid, so I didn't really go out or anything after dark. So I thought about it, and I was just like, alright, if today is my lucky day, I better do something remarkable with it. So I wanted to test out my luck. Went outside and grabbed a half-deflated basketball and just started to shoot hoops on the around the basketball net. That was just like above my garage door. And remarkably, I was I made uh, six shots and I landed six shots. I was just like, no way. I tossed another five up, and again, it was all net. At one point, I turned around and just tossed it behind me. And miraculously, the basketball landed inside the hoop. So I really thought to myself, just like, oh, this might be real luck tonight. Maybe today is my lucky day. Now, as a child, I had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit, you know. You know, when I was a kid, I had, during those same days, I had a lemonade stand. And I would sell my lemonade for 25 cents. While, my, while the neighbor's lemonade stand, they sell their lemonade for 50 cents. And then people were just coming to my lemonade stand and eventually drove them out of business. And then when they went, when they stopped doing their lemonade stand, I started to sell my lemonade for 50 cents. At that age, I always tried to see things at an angle and see how could I really reap the benefits from this situation. I saw this lucky day as a similar situation. How can I take out a long-term net positive from this fortuitous situation? Now, at the time, I was too young to gamble. the know-how to make proper investments or anything. So I just went through my room and tried to find some ideas of how could I uh, seize my luck. And then I found an old magazine with a bunch of uh, ads in the back. And some of those ads had like some raffles to it. 
you sent in uh, a small fee and a submission, you could win win a ton tons of gimmicky prizes. Things that are probably one click up from an old from an old school Cracker Jack box. You know, specialty glasses. You know. I saw this one ad for something called Mystery Shades. Now, if you put it on, it'll show you what the world won't show you. And I was just like, oh, that sounds gimmicky but cool. So I submitted to all the raffles, you know, in the back of that old magazine. Some of the prizes were pretty good, you know, had like, uh, some high-tech cameras at the time, and I thought that would be really fucking cool. And as the night was winding down, I, uh, met with my brother, and I was just like, hey, and I was just like, hey, you wanna eat a bug? And he was just like, no. And I was just like, oh, let's flip a coin. If I get heads, then you have to eat a bug. But if I get tails, I'll have to eat the bug. And he was just like, alright, I like those odds. And uh, I flipped the coin, I got heads, and he watched my brother eat a fly. And I was closer to bedtime, and he had nightmares about bugs that night. But anyway, I had fun. went to sleep feeling pretty lucky. And it was about a couple months that passed. And I completely forgot about the fortune cookie and the good luck and all the raffles that I submitted to. I would think about the mystery shades sometimes, and I was just like, oh, I wonder what those things actually did. But those couple, couple months later, I got a package. And in that package was the mystery shades themselves. X-ray specs or what have you. I put them on and they had just like this uh, sepia film on them, like this lens, and I was just like, alright, well I guess that's neat. And I looked through the box some more and they had other trinkets and whatnot. thing I saw was a whistle, and I was just like, oh, fuck, a whistle, that's cool. And they had a yo-yo. Surprisingly, I didn't win the nice camera that I wanted. But I did get this one little, uh, 
film camera for kids where if you took a picture, uh, the pictures were turned to stickers and stuff, and I was like, oh, fuck, that's really cool. That'll help cement memories for years to come. So at this point, it was spring, and I was just enjoying being outside, you know? Sitting on my porch, I was wearing my uh, specialty mystery shades, playing with my yo-yo, you know. I had my little sticker camera with me, and I was taking pictures of that. Took a picture of a cool tree, some random dog that walked over. I thought about taking the sticker from that dog picture and being like, "Huh, oh, have you seen this dog?" You know, but I didn't know where to stick it, except on my mom's car or something. But. Those strands of ideas didn't develop, and I didn't really do anything with that sticker. But I thought the mystery shades were pretty stylish. I was just like, yeah, this is fucking cool, you know? Yo-yoing, uh, taking pictures with stickers and stuff. And then I saw that I had the whistle. I tried blowing on it and didn't make any sound. I tried again, even blowing it harder. Still nothing. At first I thought it was like a dog whistle, you know, how it would be so high-pitched that only dogs could hear it. still, I couldn't... I thought it was just like a busted whistle. I blew, I blew on it a few more times. Tried to look at the inside, see if I had to, like, to bend something to make it work. And I was just like, oh, they gave me just, like, a shitty whistle. Maybe I wasn't lucky after all. distance, uh, across the street a few blocks down, I saw this mysterious ghoulish figure. They were wearing some sort of cloak that was very shredded. Their face was covered. I couldn't see any of their flesh or anything. They seemed very shadowy and very far away. Like they weren't really there, you know? Like it was just like the uh, static you see in your eyes. Like when you see a shadow at the periphery of your vision, but it was just your brain conjuring images kind of what it seemed like at the time. It was really disturbing, just it seemed to be getting closer, but it also seemed, optically, it seemed very far away. So I took off the mystery shades to get a closer look. 
figure was gone. Put the shades back on, and then the figure reappeared. It seemed like it was slowly walking toward me, but I couldn't see its legs moved, you know. It might as well have been floating, I have no way of knowing. I was getting really creeped out, so I just went inside my house. Still having the mystery shades on. So out the window, I was just like watching this person or creature. It was slowly, steadily uh, making its way toward me. across the lawn and started to go up the stairs on the porch. I was freaking out. Uh, I was home alone at the time, so I just tried to lock, I just locked the door. I thought about calling like 911 or something. But then it went to the door, and the door unlocked itself, and then it went to, came into my house. I screamed, and I panicked. So I started to just, like, run out of the house in the back way near the kitchen. So I was in the backyard, and I was just... I kept running, and I jumped a few fences. I ended up near a creek behind my house. It seemed like a good place to hide for a little bit. Maybe I can get in touch with like a neighbor or something. Get some help. Get someone to call someone. So I kept staring at my house to see if the creature would come out. As I heard the flowing of the creek, I heard more sounds, a more harder, aggressive splashing. I turned around and it was uh, another creature, looking almost identical to the first one. still steadily walking toward me, but in the opposite direction. So I freak out again, and then I leave the creek, without thinking about the original creature that broke into my house. And I saw that first creature come out my back door and then head my direction. So at this point I had two creatures on my tail stalking me. I screamed again, not knowing what else I could do. I started to run down the street. And ahead of me, I saw another one of these ghoulish creatures. 
saw it, and then I turned. I got to the point where I'd keep seeing these creatures, and every time I saw one, I would turn again. I got to the point where a crowd was assembling. mystery shades on so that I could see them. Eventually I went to my old, uh, my elementary school. After they got out of school and the building was empty. Myself, uh, caught in front of a brick wall, and all these ghouls and creatures slowly creeping up behind me. I couldn't tell if they were walking or hovering, but I was getting a closer look at them, and how their cloaks were withered. Even though I could only see them through the specks, it seemed like there was like a smell attached to it. Something rancid and rotting. I don't know if it's something I imagined. Or something that I was actually able to perceive. I kept screaming. Screaming the loudest that I've ever screamed before. I start to cry. I start to sit on the cement just wobble back and forth. As the ghoul steadily crept toward me. So in a rash decision, I just tore off my specs and just like broke them right there. Broke the frames, broke the lenses, everything. I threw it to the ground, crushed it, broke it apart. Stepped on it, crumbled it. So that there would be nothing left but a bunch of flakes. But when I did that, the creatures were gone. Were not gone, perhaps, but not in my vision, at least. I was really out of sorts for those next couple years. I had to see the guidance counselor at school a lot. And eventually I went to therapy, took some medications, did what I could to try to alleviate myself of this torment that I felt seeing these ghouls. And even though I'm far more better adjusted, than I was then when that first happened. But I can never shake the feeling that just because I can't see them, that doesn't mean the ghouls aren't still there.
Alright. This next story is called A Vampire in Beaverton. thinks that Portland is such hot shit, but I'm gonna clear the air here. Everyone who knows what's up knows that Beaverton is a town to be. Think about it this way, you know, a lot of people come to Portland, you know, they stick around from anywhere between three to seven years, and then they go, you know, fuck off somewhere else. But Be Beaverton has roots, you know. And also, the restaurants in Beaverton are way better. Beaverton has the penultimate Harvey. Oh, you don't know Harvey. Well, Harvey's a giant rabbit. Um, some people call him a statue. Some people call him a god. He's been in town for decades. Ready to either greet people who drive down TV Highway, or, at night, it said that Harvey eats children. Now, I didn't grow up in Beaverton, so I didn't have to worry about that fear specifically. But if you want to look up Harvey the Giant Rabbit and see a sight to behold, what I consider to be an unappreciated cryptid, delightful creepery that you'll probably find. But anyway, this story's not about uh, Beaverton specifically. Or even the god rabbit known as Harvey. No, this was about a, a vampire that I encountered. I didn't know he was a vampire when I met him.
Scotland at some bar at night somewhere. I was sipping on some super hoppy IPA of some sort. And I meet this dude who's uh, very pale, very slender. chatting we start hanging out a bit he said he was new in town and was trying to just uh you know just uh find a place to settle you know and he thought portland would be a good town for it so as weeks went by as me getting to know him said I was looking for a for a shared living situation in Beaverton, you know. I tried to persuade him, you know, the rent's cheaper, you know, the food's better. You know, it's a it's a slight commute from the uh, grander Portland metro area. But it's very light in comparison, and city's only going to get bigger. And this vampire, uh, flawed, chewed on it for a while, but then he was like, alright, I'll move in with you. And I was like, cool, cool. Starts off okay, you know. He has a night schedule, so he never sees the daytime, which, you know, he's a vampire, so, like, obviously not, but I didn't know he was a vampire at the time. But it made sense that he had a graveyard shift, and he would just, like, go to work, like, five nights a week. chill at the house for another two days. Sometimes he'd go out somewhere. He said he'd be going to like a comedy club or something. Or like some sort of rave. And I was just like, oh cool, maybe we can all go together or something one of these nights. And he was just like, oh no, no, it's something that uh, I have to do by myself. ashamed of how long it took to realize that this dude was a vampire. He did sleep in a coffin, but I just thought he was trying to be cool. When I saw the coffin, I was just like, why do you sleep in a coffin and not a bed? He was just like, oh, I'm like uh, the opposite of claustrophobic, you know. I like to be swaddled and all that. I didn't think much of it, so I was just like, oh, I guess I'm down for a good swaddling every now and then, you know. Maybe it's a new thing, maybe. 
coffins and tight enclosures will replace beds someday. Who knows? I have no uh, tangible forecast of the future. one day when I saw a pool of blood start to form outside of his door. I started to freak out a little bit. And I knocked on his door and I was just like, Vlad, buddy, you're alright? And he was just like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And against my better ju judgment, I just... Walton, you know. And then I see a corpse of some woman who bled out the neck all on his floor. He just stared at me, not knowing what to say. And he's just like, oh, dude, you weren't supposed to see this. God, what's what's going on here? And he was just like, alright, this is gonna sound crazy. But this is uh my friend Stacy from my hometown. And I was like, okay. And he was just like, yeah, so She's been talking about for months of how she wanted to, like, you know, commit suicide. And she requested me to do an assisted suicide thing. It was something just, like, under the table, under the table, under the radar, you know. Very consensual. We have some paperwork signed for it, too. But it's just like, yeah. And she wanted to do it as if she was being, uh, mutilated by a vampire, you know. Which, to each their own, I suppose, but it just left more of a mess uh, than I anticipated. I'll clean it up. I'm sorry. And I just kind of nodded, feeling a sense of dread, not really buying his story. And I was like, okay, uh, paperwork? Vlad said, yeah, 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 yeah. You can totally get, like, paperwork for assisted suicides, you know. It kind of relin relinquishes uh, accountability for the committer of that suicide. And he hands me some papers stapled together. And still in that, uh, in the daisy sense of dread, I was just like, oh, I didn't know that was, that was legal. And he was just like, yeah, it's a, it's a recent, recent, uh, law that passed in Oregon. For sure, you know, it's totally cool. It's gonna be the next big thing, I assure you. This is like, well, I do like big things, I guess. And I read the contract, skimmed it. I was kind of too out of my head at the time to really uh, close read it. And it wasn't in legalese or anything like that. The language was very straightforward. It was pretty much just like, I'm Stacy, and I want to die, and I want this dude to do it. That was the gist of it. Just kind of said that over and over, phrasing it in different ways, so that no one can sue. Specifically the family, because, you know, 
if I had a family member that just wanted to do that, I'd be pretty pissed and I'd want to sue someone, I don't know. But I was reading this contract. And I guess it was denial, I suppose. But I was just like, well, uh, I guess I can help you clean up if you want. And he was just like, oh, no, you don't you don't have to do that. You know, it's my mess. You know, I should have been cleaner about it. You know, you shouldn't have really noticed. And I was just like, no, no, I want to help. I want to be a good housemate and all that. And he was all like, okay, sure, sure. Um, yeah, let's, yeah, grab him off. Let's get started. He was like, actually, no, 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 don't. Save the blood, though. And I was like, save the blood? And he was like, yeah, yeah. How do you... Why, why should I save the blood? And he was just like, well, um... Uh... There's another contract. Uh... Kind of an all-encompassing thing. Not... Stacy signed it, though. Uh... That she wants her blood saved, you know. That she requested to die by vampire by vampiric mutilation and that uh, she wants her blood saved uh, given to the blood bank uh, delivered by me so just get gather much blood as you can in containers and stuff I'll put it in my mini fridge and then I'll just deliver it to the blood bank and it'll, it'll be good and I was just like okay um well, can I read that contract then? And then Vlad was just like, uh, it's, uh, digital. And I was just like, a digital contract? And he was like, yeah, yeah. Just like, okay. So I'm helping cleaning up, uh, trying to pull in uh, as much blood as I can. And I was just like, what about organs? Are organs okay? And then Vlad was just like, no, no, just, uh, you can toss organs. Here, I got, like, some bio bags, you can toss them in. You can dispose of them properly. And I was just like, oh, I was just gonna throw them in compost. And Vlad, Vlad was just like, no, you gotta, should dispose of that properly, you know? It's biological matter, human matter, you know? To, like, a medical facility or something. Maybe they can put it to use, you know? really consider them just put it in compost. Especially it's someone's body, you know. She'd probably want a burial to take place. And I was like, okay, okay, you're the... Alright, sure. So I was helping Vlad clean up uh, his room very dispassionately. Feeling very, feeling very fishy about the situation. So I'm cleaning up the blood in different containers, and I find uh, Vlad's mini-fridge, and I start to open it, and he's just like, no, 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 wait, wait. So I open it, and then I just see all these containers of blood, some in pouches that seem to come from a blood bank, some in jars that he might have harvested himself, 
And I was just like, Vlad, why do you have all this blood in your fridge? And he was just like, um, it's, it's from work. And I was just like, it's, it's from work? And he was just like, yeah, totally. And uh, I was just like, I thought you worked at a warehouse. And he was just like, I work at a warehouse for the blood bank. I do a lot of shipments. Uh, and one of the fridges are broken there. So for a little extra pay, uh, I agreed to store the blood bank and whatnot. And I was just like, alright, so you had a friend from your hometown, Stacy for you to help her commit suicide and she also requested for you to store her blood and you also have a lot of other blood uh, stored in the fridge anyway and you know, it's just like yeah I don't, I don't know what to tell you I know it's a strange set of circumstances that's why I didn't want to involve you but uh, take my word for it and it's just like alright so it takes a few hours and eventually cleaned up. So I try to go to bed, but I end up just like s sitting up in my bed not being able to sleep. Thinking about Vlad and whatever his deal was. So when dawn comes, I didn't even get a wink of sleep. I wanted to see something with Vlad. I go into his room, I see his coffin. I open the curtains, uh, let the sun in. And then really quick, I open the coffin. I see Vlad resting in there, and he screams, a blood-curdling scream. His skin starts to get all steamy and start to sizzle. And he grabs the door of the coffin and closes it really quickly. And he's just like, what the fuck, dude? And I'm just like, dude, are you a vampire? And Vlad was just like, I'm not gonna confirm nor deny it, but so what if I was? And I was just like, dude, I don't, you should have said that when you moved in, man. That's a whole different situation. He's just like, well, I don't know what to tell you, you know. If you don't like my lifestyle, just leave, or whatever. And I was like, yeah, yeah, maybe you should. So I start to rifle through his things. Grab the contracts uh, for the person Stacy. Eventually, there's a phone number, phone number on it, so I can call her mother and I tell her what happened. And her mother said that there's no way that Stacy would have agreed to that.
So a week goes by, and then Vlad's getting his things together, together, getting ready to move out. We hear a knock at the door. Vlad answers it. And he says, like, hey, you Vlad? And he's just like, yeah, yeah. And he's just like, great, you've been served. And Vlad's just like, what? He reads his form and sees that it's just... Stacy's family is suing him for potentially murdering her. For an illegal assisted suicide, as the paperwork said. And if Stacy's family won the suit, then arrest would be filed for Vlad. Now it's hard for it's hard for someone to move to different uh, houses and also be sued in court. So we stayed in our house all during the lawsuit, which took several months. I also testified in the suit, saying yes, I saw Stacy's body, and I saw the paperwork. This all took place in night court, by the way. Stacy's family's lawyer kept trying to argue that Vlad was a vampire requested for Vlad to sit in daylight at some point, but according to Oregon state law, it was uh, illegal and unconstitutional to make such a request. They also tried to make arguments that uh, Stacy's signature on those contracts was forged, and talked about the slight variations in other signatures she's, she's given in the past, but it didn't hold up. I didn't even say goodbye to Vlad. He just kind of moved out as quickly as he could. And we had some mutual friends in Portland, and they, they said, yeah, he just, like, skipped town pretty much. For now. He said he'd come back someday. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Just to get some affairs in order and whatnot. bad for testifying against Vlad and Gord. But sometimes housemate situations can get tricky. And Vlad seems like a guy who just kind of skips from trendy town to trendy town. Perhaps never, never being able to find his way. So about last week, I get something in the mail. It was, the, it was an envelope from the state's office. And uh, it was a very thick contract that was inside. And on the top, there's a stamp that said, your copy. So I was reading the contract and Eerily similar uh, contract to what Stacy had about an assisted suicide. 
contract had his had Vlad's name for me to someone for his name was uh, the one that indicated that he would be the committer of the act. And then at the end of the contract, I saw my signature, but I never signed it. This next story is called No One Loves My Baby Like I Do. Hmm, that's nice. I hope it's not a fucked up story. was eating frosted mini-wheats with uh, soy milk, feeling miserable. She didn't like that she had to wake up next to uh, Thad every day. Gwyneth would always wake up 10 minutes earlier than Thad. So those 10 minutes of making coffee and chomping on those frosted mini-wheats. It's her only salvation from having a mundane morning conversation with Thad. So like every morning he came in feeling all cheery and stuff, just like, oh Gwyneth, my darling, how are you? And she was just like, uh. You see, the couple had a lot of fights. Often those fights would leave them both with things to think about. But then fucking Thad would come in the next day as if they never had a fight. And therefore not really learning from that conversation. It was like a relationship groundhog day in some ways. And 
Gwyneth became more and more irritated, and she got closer to her breaking point in uh, breaking up with Thad. Thad was feeling extra enthusiastic for some reason, you know? Like he's trying to amend the relationship in all the wrong ways. And Gwyneth could see uh, through that tactic, and it just made her munch on her frosted mini-wheats even harder. Thad was eating some yogurt and granola and uh, blueberry strawberries and stuff. And he connects his old uh, first generation iPod to a, an, an old iPod player that's in the kitchen. Gwyneth didn't have her old iPod, so only Thad could use the speakers. Which was like a little, another passive aggressive little tick that really drove. Uh, Gwyneth on edge. So then Thad played the song No One Loves My Baby Like I Do. An old jazz standard. Gwyneth doesn't even recognize the song. She's just like, oh, what is this? And then Thad's just like, oh, you don't recognize it? And Gwyneth is just like, no, I don't. And Thad just said, oh, it's, it's our song. And Gwyneth was just like, I don't remember uh, consenting to having a song with you. And then Thad was just like, no, no, on our first date, uh, we were listening to a lot of jazz radio driving to like the bars and restaurants and stuff and yeah the song came on we both like really enjoyed ourselves you know so i always considered uh this song as our song and then gwyneth was just like yeah well i don't register this register this song as our song you know there's a lot of jazz that night Oscar Peterson, Sun Ra, whatever. But I'm not equating any of those songs to our thing, you know? And Thad was just like, our thing? You mean our relationship? And she was just like, I guess that's what you'd call it. And then Thad was just like, oh, what is going on with you? just said, Thad, we're having the same conversations over and over. We always do this every morning. We get into some fight. It would give us both a lot to think about it. I go and think about it and get ready to talk about it in the next day or two. And then you come in, you know, pretending like it didn't happen. 
Dad was just like, well, I don't think, that's not how I see it. I don't think that's true, you know? I mean, we're gonna fight every now and again. But, like, you know, it's, we're, it's a, you know, how we fight is, like, how we grow together. And then Gwyneth is like, no, Thad, I'm growing. And I'm growing without you. Because you want to keep staying in the same place, mentally, in the same level of maturity. And you want to pretend that any conflict is not happening. And Thad was just like, what are you, what are you getting at, Gwyneth? Gwyneth's side was just like, isn't it obvious? We gotta, we gotta end this thing, we gotta break up. Dad was just like, no, but Gwyneth, you're my baby and no one loves you like I do. And Gwyneth was just like, I'm not anyone's fucking baby, alright? time in a long time that Gwyneth actually saw anything sink in for Thad. And Thad was just like, alright, well, maybe I'll, I'll crash with my brother uh, tomorrow or something, stay there for like a week or so, and then come back for my things as the month goes on, and I'll have rent covered for that uh, week also. Gwyneth was just like, okay, that's that's fair, sure. And they didn't talk anymore uh, during that breakfast. They didn't really talk for the rest of the day, even. They just went and did their own thing. Doing other stuff. As Gwyneth saw it, and what she assumed Thad saw... next day, uh, Gwyneth wakes up feeling a bit lighter, a bit breezier. She felt like a huge burden has lifted. I was actually able to enjoy her breakfast without any sense of impending dread or doom or whatnot. It was unpleasant, but she thought it had to be done, ending things with, uh, Thad. like relaxed and like kicked it you know that is until Thad walked into the room he just walked in and he was just like ah oh, morning babe and then Gwyneth was just like babe he started to grab some yogurt and some granola and some strawberries and blueberries like 
one strawberry. There's two strawberries left. And he was just like, oh, fuck, I could have sworn we just got strawberries. And then Gwyneth was just like, oh, we haven't gotten strawberries in like two weeks. And Thad was just like, oh, I could have sworn. Oh, whatever, anyway. Hey, babe, check this out. So he plugs in his iPod to the iPod player. And starts playing the song, No One Loves My Baby Like I Do. It's just like, it's our, it's our song. And then uh, Gwyneth was just like, I don't know. No, that's not a... We, we had this conversation yesterday. It's not our song. We don't have a song anymore. We don't have an hour anything. And Thad was just like, oh, but uh, you know, this was a song that we played on our first date and stuff, and it's so special. Thad, when are you leaving today? And Thad was just like, no, no, I don't work today. And then Gwyneth was like, no, you said you were going to like move out with your brother for a couple weeks or a month or whatever, and then you get your things later. And then Thad thought about it and was just like, oh, I don't remember saying that. And Gwyneth was just like, god damn it, Thad, you always do this. And he was just like, oh, do, do what? Every time we have a conversation or a fight that's remotely unpleasant, you always just wash it away and forget about it very conveniently. And Thad was just like, what do you mean? And Gwyneth was just like, Thad, we broke up. It's over. And Thad was just like, no, that wasn't a serious conversation, though. And then Gwyneth was just like, yes, Thad, it was. brother he answers and he's just like yeah and then Gwyneth is just like uh are you gonna pick up Thad today and Thad's brother said like yeah that's uh that's the plan and Gwyneth was just like you talked about it yesterday right and his brother is just like yeah yeah he told me he gave me a rundown on the situation so I'll be, be there in like an hour or so just said, alright, well, Thad's, like, says he doesn't remember the conversation, and just said he's not gonna leave, or whatever. And then Thad's brother was just like, oh, I think I might know what's going on. Yeah, I'll be over soon, I'll be over soon. So two hours later, uh, Thad's brother shows up. Thad has a suitcase full of things in a box. He starts packing in a, his brother's car, and he just looks at Gwen, Gwyneth, and it's just like, I really don't think we should be doing this. And then Gwyneth was just like, Thad, this was long overdue. Please just leave. He gets really sad and mopey, and just like sits in uh, Thad's brother's car. And Thad's brother uh, turns to Gwyneth, and he's just like, yeah, so, uh, I guess you've known, you've been dating for a while, you know? 
Gwyneth was just like, yeah, it's been like uh, eight months or so. And Thad was just like, uh-huh. Well, uh, I guess you've seen the way Thad re uh, responds to stress, right? And then Gwyneth was just like, uh, no, uh, what, uh, what do you mean? Thaddeus's brother was just like, well, you know, when Thad gets upset, he kind of does this thing where he just kind of, like, wipes his memory clean, you know? He can't hand or, handle, like, stress or unpleasant, unpleasantries. So he just pretends they don't happen. And Gwyneth was just like, well, I can't, I can't keep up with it anymore. I guess I'll say that much. And then Thad's brother was just like, yeah, I, I mean, I totally get it. It's fair. But what I'm saying is, like, Thad doesn't know that, if you know what I mean. <clears throat> and then Gwyneth's just like, well, be that as it may, I don't want him around, so whatever. And then Thaddeus' brother was just like, okay, well, I'll, I'll see beat seeing you then. So they both leave, and uh, Gwyneth was stressed, but she was still enjoying the rest of her day, you know. Felt nice to have some solitude away from Thad, you know. So the next morning, uh, same thing happens. Gwyneth has some frosted mini-wheats, has some coffee. And then she gets a phone, phone call from Thad. And then he's just like, Gwyneth, what's going on? Gwyneth was just like, Thad, we broke up. It's over. And Thad was just like, I don't remember consenting to that at all. And then Gwyneth was like, it's not about consent. It's over. We're done. Finished. I don't want to see you or talk to you anymore. Please just pick up your shit at some point and then get out of my life. And then she just hangs up. Really getting sick of Thad way more than she ever has before. So the night winds, winds down, uh, it starts to rain outside. And then she hears some music. It's the song, No One, Lo no One Loves My Baby Like I Do. outside and sees Thad holding a boombox with a trench coat on with rolled up sleeves, blasting the music. And then Gwyneth shouts at him, Thad, what are you doing? And Thad just says, I love you, babe. I want things to work between us. And Thad, Gwyneth just shouted, fuck off, Thad, for the love of God. And she slams the window shut. And the next night, Thad arrived with a boombox, blasted it outside Gwyneth's uh, house at this point. She shouted at him to fuck off. And it happened the next night, too. Eventually, she sprayed him with the hose, got the boombox wet, and broke it. 
Dad returned the next night with a new boombox. This goes on for a couple more weeks. She would try to have friends over or even date around. But they'd just be like, oh, Thad's not fucking leaving, is he? And she's just like, no. So eventually she files for a restraining order against Thad. After the documents were finalized, Thad would still show up with a boombox blasting, uh, No One Loves My Baby Like I Do. And then eventually he'd get arrested for violating the restraining order. violated the restraining order, he'd spend some time in jail, but then when he'd get out of jail, he would just go back to the grind of playing that loud boombox for Gwyneth. And the more he did it, the louder the music got. And then one night, some of the neighbors heard some strange things. Some shouting, they heard some banging, uh, even a couple gunshots. But then after that, Thad stopped showing around, showing up. And eventually, Thad just disappeared entirely. His brother couldn't find him or his family. Eventually, some uh, police did some investiga- investigating on a his whereabouts and whatnot. Not a very thorough investigation, but they asked around people that knew him. So when the police would uh, ask Gwyneth about uh, Thad, she was just like, yeah, he was a dick, but uh, he moved out a long time ago, so I don't know what's become of him. So eventually, uh, that line of questioning would lead to the police asking, you know, uh, Do you remember the night that he uh, allegedly disappeared? And then Gwyneth would just say, No. No, I don't remember. Well, that was Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. 